FBI Radio. We've got quite a good conversation that we're going to have today. We, I mean, we always have a great conversation. Down to Earth is our fortnightly chat about sustainability, the environment. It's got lots to do with our cities and little tweaks that we can do to make them great again and, and sort of things that we can, yeah, improve about them. And today we're going to look at something... We're going to look at shopping and talk about where we do it, our shopping patterns, and looking at the shopping mall versus shopping street debate. Yeah. So what is this debate, Kurt? Well, look, um, these malls are a big deal in our cities, and um, I guess I was prompted to think about this question about like where we shop and the differences between shopping streets and malls by something that just happened in Sydney earlier in the week, actually, where the Inner West Council made uh, some headlines because they've just passed a motion to switch off their parking metres after 7 o'clock on uh, Darling Street in Roselle and Balmain and also on Norton Street in Leichhardt. And the whole justification for this was we're going to do something to revive these streets. It's really important that we keep them going. Darcy Byrne, who's the mayor, said that the purpose of switching them off was to boost local businesses and turn around some of the negative talk about shopping strips. And get people in their cars, I guess, and driving to them. Well, is there any other ways to get to Roselle? You've got to drive there. Apparently, there are buses. Apparently, there are buses to both of these places. But maybe they should make the bus trips a little reduced at that time. Am I getting off track? Sorry, I'm getting off track. No. Well, listen. I think it's interesting because it is one of these things that um, you know, in this struggle that we'll sort of talk about in a minute. Actually, we're going to focus mostly on malls, but one of the outcomes of the fact that malls are taking away businesses from shopping streets is that sometimes the shopping streets then respond by trying to become a bit more like the mall. So making it easier to drive and park for Norton Street or Darling Street might be one way that those uh, councils try and respond to the mm. threat of people going elsewhere. Mm. So it's not just what's going on in malls. That's right. It's kind of like the way that actually the street maybe is becoming a bit more like the mall uh, in this battle as well. But uh, mostly I reckon we'll, we'll focus on the shopping mall really. Um, as we get into it today. Um, so we're looking at kind of the, the issue of the survival of more traditional shopping streets around Sydney. Yeah, and that's it. So, look, if you think about it, in terms of stuff we do every day in our cities, um, we've all got to shop for stuff, sometimes for necessities, sometimes we do it for fun, for treats, whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, the thing I want to talk about today is it sort of makes a difference where we do it, right, and the experience that we have. So if you think about um, a city like Sydney, like the one we're in here, there's a whole bunch of uh, pretty well-known shopping streets scattered through the city. There's places like Oxford Street and Paddington, there's Crown Street in Surrey Hills, there's King Street, Newtown, Norton Street in Leichhardt, et cetera, et cetera, right? And what I love about these is traditionally, not only were they the, the shopping streets, but as you'd list each one, a certain commodity would come to mind that they would sort yeah. of specialise in. Yeah, so that's right. They become sort of known for different, maybe things that you can get there mm. or, you know, in the case of some streets, they just get known for being maybe even associated with a particular community mm. in the city. So like Norton Street and the Italian community, for example. Yeah, it's all these sort of... Really interesting, nice images that are sort of... It's a really different experience that you have from shopping in each. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's right. And then if you think about that, it's sort of, you know, those are all kind of inter-urban ones that we've talked about. But again, it's not like these things don't exist in the burbs as well. So, you know, I take a field trip at Sydney Uni with my geography students down the Bankstown line and you get out at places like um, Campsie where you've got Beamish Street you know, Lakemba where there's Holden Street, all the way down to Cabramatta where you've got John Street. Like, just amazingly bustling, busy 
dense, diverse streets that um, are really important to their communities in those places mm. as well. Um, but sometimes they're just finding it hard to survive these places, you know, especially over the last few decades when there's been this kind of pressure from the alternative way of getting your shopping done, which is going to the mall. The rise of the shopping mall. Oh, yeah, exactly. And look, we've got our fair share of them in Sydney too. There's a couple of big chains operating here. Westfield and Stockland are the two obvious ones that have like several malls scattered across the city. But there's also a bunch of standalone ones like, you know, Broadway or World Square or um, even just those kind of little old malls like the Campsie Centre or um, Asheville Mall that are sort of hanging in there. You can go to Wikipedia. There's a shopping centres in Sydney page. Lists about 50 of these things, but there was a bunch missing from that list. So, you know, 50 or 60. Yeah, 50 or 60. There we go. There's a task for some happy down-to-earth listener. So whereabouts in Sydney, Kurt, was the shopping mall born? So it was born, really. We had places like, you know, Queen Victoria Building or Strand Arcade. So there's been arcades in the city for a while, but the first kind of classic suburban shopping mall um, was in Miranda. Miranda Fair opened up in 1964. Um It's now been taken over by Westfield, actually, so it's one of those uh, Westfield chain malls. It's had a couple of renovations along the way. Um, It was once, actually, the biggest mall in the Southern Hemisphere, Um, but now has been overtaken by a whole bunch of other big mega malls. Um, Mm. It's only the fourth biggest in Sydney now, but, yeah, 108,000 square metres at Miranda. Some of them are Um, as big as, like, I'm surprised they don't have their own postcode, like Sydney Uni does. Yeah, exactly. Giant places. And so what kind of impact are they having on our traditional streets, such as the ones you were listing before? Yeah, well, look, so there are some parts of the city where you can see the mall and the street kind of coexisting relatively peacefully. So Campsie that I've mentioned a couple of times is one place, I reckon, where, you know, the Campsie Centre is not a giant mega mall. It's just a pretty small thing. It's off the main road and it really hasn't, like, killed Beamish Street, you know what I mean? Like, they seem to coexist. But there are other places um, where, really, when malls have opened, they've just had a massive impact on the shopping streets around them. Um, So the one that we'd often talk about in Sydney is um, Westfield Bondi Junction is the most recent example. So that opened in the early 2000s. And when it did, like, there was a 30% drop-off in business in... um, Double Bay and also in sort of Paddington on Oxford Street that within about three months. end of Oxford Street, Paddington was very much small kind of fashion boutiques, yep. independent, yep. quite often made, designed in Australia. Yeah, that's right. And fashion. so, you know, Westfield Bondi Junction in that case made a real effort not to get those independent fashion retailers, yeah. but made a real effort to get fashion as a, you know, it was almost a separate wing of the mall there. And it just, yeah, it just had a really big dramatic impact on the businesses in the nearby areas. And I imagine some of those traditional shops really, really would have relied on dedicated customers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so if you think about it, that mall, as with many shopping malls, is just, it's actually not just a coincidence. They're deliberately designed to take people away from the old shopping street and to offer an alternative to them, right? An alternative that has everything in it that you can park your car at really easily and for free for a few hours, that's climate controlled, that's behaviour controlled. Um, So compare that to a shopping street where the mall folks would say, you know, it's hard to park and you've got to walk out in the elements between shops and carry those heavy bags instead of walking around with a trolley Um, and where you might encounter people who are out like drinking or busking or marching or asking for change or handing out leaflets. Just 
real life, right? Like, so yeah, you know, you go and see a movie on King Street in Newtown and then go out for something to eat and do some shopping there. Have a um, stroll. It's a totally different experience to the experience you'd have going to see a movie at Broadway yep. shopping centre mm. uh, and doing your shopping there in terms of who you're going to bump into on the street and you well, know, all that you sort of stuff. you can lose track of the time of day, what yeah. day it is, yeah. what the weather's like outside. Exactly. And so they're just these little sort of bubbles, right, that in the first instance were designed to be kind of like, you know, ersatz sanitised shopping streets. But um, we can talk about it more after the break, but now becoming kind of like alternative little cities unto themselves, really, and... It's interesting to unpack what that city's like compared to the city that's outside. So we're talking shopping, we're talking streets versus malls. Now, you were going to talk about the ways that malls are designed and what they're trying to do for us. So that's it. So us. why should we care? That's what we'll get into now. Mm. Like, why should we care if all these malls are popping up everywhere um, and competing with shopping streets. And I guess, look, if you've ever watched that show on the ABC about advertising called The Gruen Transfer, that's actually named for a fellow called Victor Gruen, who was one of the early designers of shopping malls in the US where they kind of originated. And look, his original intention, which is pretty interesting, was to take a kind of European idea of sociability associated with shopping and bring it to the kind of car-dependent suburbs of the United States. Um, to build these places in what he perceived to be kind of lifeless suburbs where you could, yes, drive your car to it, but then you'd hop out and you'd walk around and, you know, there'd be uh, a little bit of life. And, of course, hey, you might spend some money too, which is what the mall builders were interested in doing. It's funny um, that this idea, though, had to happen away from... Yeah. They couldn't just... I guess that was the whole point. The, the mall was sort of... You, you drove away to it instead yeah. of just walking to, to, the, to, the, to the end of your street. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and again, like just not in the first instance really sort of um, happy to get a time in the United States where really people might have, in the way that their cities were organised, not even had shops in their suburbs. So mm -hmm. they maybe would have you know, gone into the city, as it were, to do their shopping. And this was kind of like rather than going into the city, we could capture them out in the burbs with these kind of malls, right? Mm -hmm. And they're really designed around the car, uh, very much so in the United States kind of version of them and in the Australian version of them too, for the most part. Um, you know, the big ones in Sydney have got like thousands of parking spots, um, scores, sometimes hundreds of shops. And they really pretty deliberately in the way they're designed kind of cut themselves off from the surrounding streets and urban environment, right? They're, they're sort of really inward facing and they're deliberately organised to try and sort of catch you and then keep you, right? So... They do this and in anyone a whole... who's ever tried to navigate their way out of the <laughs> Broadway car park can attest yeah. to that. Yeah, exactly right. It's hard enough getting your way out of the shopping centre itself there um, yep. and then finding your way out of the car park. As you say, there's a basis for Designed a movie plot. To trap you. A Seinfeld episode right there. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And it's kind of like, you know, they do this in a whole bunch of ways internally as well. So, you know, always organised around these big anchor kind of tenants, like whether it be a department store or a supermarket or a cinema. Um, no windows for the most part to the outside world. All these internal spaces arranged in a way that kind of forces you to walk past like everything to get to the one thing that you're actually trying to do in there. Um, and of course now, like the more modern malls, they're really trying to hang on to us for even longer. So again, you can compare a place like the Campsie Centre that just like its anchor tenant is Big W, right? No big deal. But then you go to Broadway and really, you know, there's like community facilities, there's gyms, there's cinemas, there's restaurants, um, you know, they sort of, um, don't want you to ever leave really. Just... If they operated for 24 hours, which some do over the Christmas period, you yeah. could really... 
yep. stay there. Forever. That's right. That could be a challenge for some of us to try and spend 24 live hours living one for a couple of days and see how it goes. Exactly. <laughs> so, what's wrong with the picture that yeah, you're well, painting look, here? Yeah, and I think this is the thing that, like, even Victor Gruen, by the time he got old and curmudgeonly, was like, I've created a monster here and these things are terrible. Um, and... In terms of the stuff that we're interested in on Down to Earth, I guess, one of the things about it is not just that stuff about, you know, the social control, but it's also, even if you think about the diversity of shops that you're going to find in a mall, the big malls really tend to prefer to do business with chains instead of independent operators. Um, and so, you know, you're less likely to find your kind of independent fashion or food or whatever in there. It's going to be your chain sort of shops. But and that was sort of just harking back to the, the first um, the first half, the, the struggle that the, the strip in Paddington, Oxford Street really yeah. suffered once. Yeah. That's, Wanda Junction opened. That's right. So Westfield, you know, they don't really want to do a deal with one-off shops. They just, If they can do a deal with a chain that operates across all of their malls, then that's much easier for them. Yeah. Um, and they think those tenants are much more reliable, less likely to, you know, move on after a shorter period or whatever. So that kind of, all that diversity and independence that you might find on a good shopping street doesn't really exist in the mall in terms of the shops. Um, but then... Yeah, the social control in them as well is just such a big deal, right? And like, uh, you know, really brought home to me a few years ago when I had a student after we'd done a lecture about this stuff who just decided to do his assignment about Westfield shopping mall in Bondi Junction and went there with his nice digital SLR camera and started taking photos inside to illustrate some of the points we were talking about. Within a couple of minutes, literally, of pulling out his camera, the security guards were onto him. They'd obviously spotted him on CCTV um, and just basically told him, you need to come with us, mate. You can't take photos in here. Um, he gets dragged off to the security lounge in Westfield Bondi Junction, and then they're like, why are you taking photos? And he's like, for a uni assignment. And they were like, oh, we don't believe that. must be some other reason. And they ended up having to call me up and confirm that, oh, yes, That's an this kid is a student. Because and... those walkways between the shops, you may think of it as a public space in the same way yeah. that walking halfway up King Street on, on the footpath would be, but mm -hmm. it's not because it's owned and operated by Westfield exactly and, and gov right. governed, I guess, yeah. by its own security So officers. that's it. So listen, they've got all their rules about what they'll tolerate and what they won't tolerate. So yeah, you can't just go in there and start busking. You can't just go in there and start asking for change. You can't go in there and start handing out leaflets about how you don't like shopping malls and blah, blah, blah. Like, you can't do any of that stuff. It's totally controlled. Um, and again, you know, they will um, really move on people that they don't like as well. And of course, that's just become a thing, right? Particularly for teenage kids where a lot of parents actually feel comfortable letting their kids go and hang out in the mall. And you see lots of kids doing that after school. But, um, yeah, groups of teenage kids are a definite target for those security guards. Yeah, they have kind of dispersed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Look, and so mall, there's an interesting point that you want to discuss, that malls are beginning to come under threat. Yeah, well, this is the weird thing, right? That this, So as the malls have sort of threatened the shopping street, but now um, particularly starting to happen more in the US than it is here, but some of these malls are actually also now struggling to survive. Um, and it's internet shopping that's killing them all, right? Um, that You're right. Are I just... was going to say, is it due to economic downturn? But yeah, it's not. It's yeah, to... it's not just economic downturn. That's definitely happening in some parts, but also just the changing shopping habits. So we've sort of gone from shopping in a street to shopping in a mall to now just doing all our shopping from home. Um, why even deal with parking and trying to find your way out of that crazy car park at Broadway when you can order everything online and have it delivered to your home. So um, interestingly that they're sort of trying to fight back um, and they're looking particularly to, to Asia as a kind of 
place where actually malls there are still sort of thriving. So um, how have malls thrived in Asia? Have they not had the same threat from people? Is there a different attitude towards home shopping um, yeah, and like, buying online? So that I don't know, actually. But the thing that I've been reading about is that the malls there are, tend to be a bit more integrated into their surrounding urban environment, right? Um, and in particular, in a place like Hong Kong, um, you know, the malls are right on top of train stations there, um, sort of, you know, have lots of the same features of the malls we've been talking about, but it's not about car parking. And um, and again, you can go to those malls and also see that they're much more likely to have a bit more of a diversity of shops in them compared to the malls here. So some differences, but still some of those same similarities and problems. Like one of the things that is really striking in Hong Kong and which is starting to be replicated here is that you get off the train at any number of stops in Hong Kong and the only way out is to walk through a shopping mall. So you've gone from this kind of public space of the public transport system and you're trying to get out into the street and they literally will walk you through these maze-like corridors. Exactly, exit through the gift shop. And like you can go to Hurstville right here in Sydney now and see how you go trying to get off the train in Hurstville and avoid the shopping centre there. It's hard work. It's basically right there really sort of saying... This is the town centre. It's the mall. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we were discussing, actually, I think it was last year, this was months back, but we were talking about industrial spaces in Sydney and the type of creative hubs where we had businesses built on sustainable recycled clothing and how Mm -hmm. they're under threat from redevelopment. Yeah. They're not going to find a home anytime soon in a shopping mall. Exactly. And, um, And this is the thing about them, that all those things that, yeah, we're interested in here are just so hard to find there. But, like... Bree, who, you know, produces here, was just um, showed me this great link last night when we were planning what we we're going to talk about, about a mall in Sweden, on the other hand, that has actually been set up by the local government there. And the only shops that are allowed in this mall are shops that are selling repaired and recycled stuff. Super duper cool, right? So it's interesting to even see how people are sort of hacking the mall concept and twisting it around for another purpose. So um, she might put a link to it uh, up online. It's in a town called Eskiltuna. Yep. Yeah, Bri, and, we'll, we'll chuck this one up on the program page, so fbrradio.com yeah. forward slash program, search mornings, and you can take a look at this alternative model yeah, to mega malls. Exactly. So interesting to see how the mall might uh, be maybe hacked and put to work for a quite different purpose. So, And so how can we, if we don't love these mega malls, what kind of path should we be winding yeah. to sort of get to that kind of... Well, space, I reckon it's it's the classic down-to-earth dilemma, right, which is that there's all this stuff that we can do as individuals and what choices we make when we're shopping. And look, you know, I don't want to get all moralistic here. It's not like I don't every now and again sneak into Broadway in my lunch hour because I've got a fiending for something like just looking through the racks at JB Hi-Fi or something like that, right, <laughs> which is terrible. But anyway, there it is. But so, You're only you know, human. Exactly. Yep. So there's choices that we can make and, you know, um, about where we shop and which kind of shops we support that are really important. But there's also really big policy decisions that get made all the time that encourage one form of development and not another. So if we look back to that example of Westfield Bondi Junction again, like both the local councils in that case, when Westfield put their planning application in, both the local councils said, nah, we don't like this because we want to protect our streets and we want to protect our community from what's going to happen. They were overridden by what was then a Labor state government who actually overrode their objections and just gave Westfield planning approval. So all these things about 
how we approve, um, you know, plans for new malls or for extensions of malls are really big deals and we should get involved in those sorts of fights as well. There so was the one... more people get involved, do you think that that would have strengthened the council's Yeah, absolutely. Arguments? And it's certainly, you know, there was a... a you know, the proposed extension of the Marrickville Metro a few years ago, there's a really good sort of community mobilisation around that and the threat to, you know, Marrickville Road that would happen if, like, that mall got even bigger than it was. So, yeah, I think this is the other thing we can do is just use those planning instruments that we've got available to us and get ourselves organised in our communities to try and protect the stuff that we want to hang on to. Thanks, Kurt. Oh, you're so welcome. We will have another discussion about sustainability and the urban environment in another couple of weeks. So actually, I'll be away for a month. It might be pushed back. Or you, right. you can have that discussion with somebody who's going to be filling in for me. Um, but in the meantime, you can catch up on pretty much every conversation that we've had since the beginning by heading to fbiradio.com forward slash down to earth. We've got a nice archive of conversations. Yeah, we do. So that can keep you going for hours and hours. So, Kurt, thank you. All and right. We'll thank speak you. again soon. Yeah, have a good break. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.